Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand on the Company Horns of Odin. And before we jump into the show, as always, I have to do a little bit of plug-in for the, for the Patreon. If you can, please pop over to Patreon forward slash Nordic Mythology Podcast. It's literally how we keep the lights on. It's how we keep the editor, the the booker, the social media side of things. It's how we keep going as a podcast without the Patreon. We just couldn't keep doing this. And it's just £3 a month. So that works out roughly at 10p a day. You get a bonus episode every single week. So every week after the main show, we sit down and do a Q&A with the guest. These work out been an extension of the main show. I always have some questions that I, I need to throw in and add to that I've thought of after. You also get really good questions that I've missed from the listeners. You can also watch all the episodes live. So you get access to a live chat feature where there's a little community going on whilst the episode is going on. And you also get our Discord server, which is a beautiful little community of people we've picked up over the years, all like-minded people who are just super friendly, always willing to answer some questions in there as well. And you get all the ad-free episodes. And the tier up from that, you get the story time episodes with Jonas Lorenzen, where we're reading through Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology at the minute, which is a lot of fun. It's yeah, it's, it's a super fun book. I think it's the book that probably introduces the most people into this field, area, genre, whatever you want to call it. Into it's the introductory book into Nordic mythology, I think. Um, so yeah, if you can, please pop over to Patreon for slash Nordic mythology podcast. It starts at ten p a day. Um, ten p a day. Yeah, ten p a day. Three pound a month, and it really does just help us keep going. Um. And I guess today's guest probably needs no introduction. I think this is your third Halloween session. I I believe. I love being on this podcast. You know that. Yeah, I think I think this is your third Halloween. I I'm pretty sure it is. I think we did mm. trolls, zombies, and today we're gonna do werewolves and wolf cults. Uh, so that that voice you just heard there is Rich Blackett. I guess it's your your third appearance, and I'm looking forward to this one. Thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, well. Every episode I've been on before this, I've always said, well, we should do one on werewolves. And immediately we get multiple comments going, werewolves? What? What? Uh-huh. What? Wolves? Wolf mm-hmm. cults? Hang on, what? And we, we, we've we always said, oh, we must come back another time. And finally, we're doing it. Uh, we're, we're doing it. Absolutely. And thank you very much for inviting me. It's always a pleasure. Um, you're you're it- a resident spooky <laughs> expert, I feel, at this point. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it is linked very much at my heathenry and, and, and my reading and all kinds of other things. It's just um, I I realized a long time ago I couldn't learn all about Viking mythology. I would choose mm-hmm. to specialize and just delve specifically into specific things. So we delved into trolls and berserkers and, um, you know, draugr, as we talked about the previous time, mm-hmm. and also wolves and wolf cults and what they meant uh, to Vikings, for want of a better phrase, or, or people in that sort of era. Mm-hmm. Um, if people don't know who I am, I'm, I'm the former chair of Astro UK. Um, I wasn't kicked out. Don't worry. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the, there's no Me Too issues or anything nasty like that. It was. Um, I, I'd been chair for five and a half years, and it was very, very gently and politely pointed out. You know, we don't have terms of office. Maybe, maybe we should because it started out. It was such a small group, and of course, mm. we need terms of office. It's much more sensible to do that. Mm. And you know what? I was so glad they'd asked me to step down because doing it for five and a half years—goodness me—that's enough for anybody, frankly. Mm-hmm. Is it so a they, lot of work? 
It is. It, it, it's essentially what I would say a lot of very boring but very important stuff behind the scenes, like okay. making sure bills are paid, making sure there's event insurance, mm-hmm. things which are really boring that if you do them well, nobody notices. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like all all the stuff that behind the scenes is all the effort and paying bills and sorting out who who's paid and who can come and all, all that kind of stuff behind the scenes is what I was doing for a long time. I'm still mm-hmm. involved with the committee. I'm now purely deal with um, external communications and that sort of thing because they weren't going to let me go. There, there was no, no, <laughs> no, no, you stuck. It's true, it's true. But you know, it, it's great. I'm still involved and, and still ha- helping out, but not quite as um, central and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Actually, at the last big event we did that was um, Thunor's movie, did this big ritual to Thunor and Thor. Um, I asked, I said, listen, it's no disrespect to you guys, but for once, I'm going to attend no rituals. I'm just going to chill. Because mm-hmm. for five and a half years, I've had to be at the center, do everything, be everything. I said, just for one year, I just want to just enjoy the ambience, which in the past, I never could. I could never just chill and just wander about and just enjoy the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, obviously, from next year, I'll, I'll be in, you know very much involved and things like that. But for this one time, I said, you know, I just want to just enjoy the atmosphere and meet people and talk to them and not have to have a two-minute conversation. Oh, I've got to be somewhere else, all that kind of stuff. So, mm. yeah. yeah. I also was involved with well, – sorry, go on, Daniel, what was that? No, I was just saying sometimes you have to yeah. step back and just enjoy enjoy what you're doing, take pleasure. Well, that's the you, thing, you forget it, why it, you're doing it. Well, exactly. It was just like, uh, you know – I wasn't enjoying the festivals. It, it was more like work. And I thought, well, I want to enjoy them and enjoy these events and kind of meet people and talk to them and have a, you know, a chat, which is the best thing about these things. I mean, to me, oh, yes, the rituals are important. But to me, the best part of it is sat around a fire pit or something, just chewing the fat with somebody who you've never met before, who has a different perspective on things. And ah, oh, I love that. I love that. Mm-hmm. And that's very much where it is for me. And um so so yeah, that's that's uh, I've been involved with. I'm still involved with the Pagan Federation and various other groups like that, and linking in with international groups and things. And there's been a couple of things where we've linked in with people like that. Um, so yeah, well, we are inclusive and all those nice things. Um, so if that's of interest to you, Astro UK, that there's only one of us, so that's fine. You can find us online and all that sort of stuff. You don't um, have a a rival. Also true. We don't have a no. Well, funnily enough, AUK, that, that abbreviation we do, uh, it's not a heathen group. It's actually oh, really? Aurora UK, people who are really into the Aurora Borealis. And oh, I'm like, okay. oh, that's fine. That's, you know, I, I love the Aurora. That's great. Those people can do whatever they like. That's great. Mm-hmm. Love it. N- no problem. <laughs> those slippery bastards have evaded my <laughs> no, eyes. No, for... no criticism at all. Because if they're just into the Aurora and they're not heathens or whatever they're doing, <laughs> love it. Great. Oh, I mean, I'm in the Aurora. I wasn't meaning the people. I meant, <laughs> I, I've been trying to see the Aurora for, oh, mm. for so many years now. And every time I'm up in that area, it's mm. just not quite the right. You need to come to the north of England, Northumbria. Just... We have the dark sky area up here. Okay. Literally, as in it's it's internationally recognised, so much so that Brian May is looking to buy a house up here. Oh, really? I love Brian May. Well, because my dad heard about it. I said, Why is Brian May looking to buy a house in Northumberland? I said, well, it's because the dark sky. If you're really into astronomy, that is the place to be. Mm-hmm. I feel uh, like Brian May could buy Northumberland from a Well, he probably could, but he, he's obviously after some little bolt hole. But, you know, if uh, there's the Kielder Observatory, and it's fantastic for seeing the Milky Way and all kinds of stuff, if that's your thing. Um, so yeah, I've I've tried I've I've tried in Norway and in Iceland mm. to see them, and I still they I, they're just slippery. 
They... Oh, it's true. It's true. I mean, I did once see it once as a teenager. It was so prominent. I didn't have to leave my house because I, I live wow. in Tyneside, which is at the very bottom of, well, what was Northumbria and outside of Northumberland. Mm. And we, I could literally just see it out of, you know, the, the, the patio windows of our house at the time. Phenomenal. It was like really, really prominent. It was clear skies, but that was the only time I've really seen it prominently. But fingers crossed I'll get to the Faroe Islands or Iceland or yeah. uh, Lofoten or somewhere like that, which is super picturesque. I'd love to go there. I'm sure I'm sure it will happen. I'm being patient. I'm not, not sulking. I'm not sulking about it just <laughs> yet. <laughs> All yeah. right. Should we should we talk wolf cults? Yes, let's talk about werewolves and wolf cults. And uh obviously there's some weird gruesome stuff I may potentially cross over into. I'm gonna try to uh, be as clean as I can. I'm not gonna get into too gory stuff, but there may oh, be some stuff that's gore, go gore. I know, but some people it. don't like that, you know, and that's fine. Just or give it like give a maybe give a warning. Well, this is this, I, I this is the, the warning. This is the warning. I mean, I love it. Don't get me wrong. And uh, but you know, I just want to say if that's uncomfortable to you, that's fine. Uh, but I just like to make people aware of that ahead of time. I mean, mm-hmm. I love the more you know gory stories, and I still hope to go back to Edinburgh where they do the ghost tours. But you, mm-hmm. you know, they do the late night ghost tour. Starts oh, at midnight, they? and they tell all the stories they don't normally tell to the regular daytime things. I was like, oh, Ooh, wow. I still must okay. go back and hear the really nasty stories. I'm excited for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of um, werewolves and wolf cults, um, I've, I've specifically focused on Europe because okay. I've not looked into anything in Native America or anything like that because there's so much there. It's a whole. It, it would require a whole other multiple volumes. Okay, and and I suspected this, but I had it confirmed to me when somebody asked me about something in one little area, and I focused on one area with one tribe, and there was like twenty different stories, and I was like, oh, so just one tiny little area. There was so many different things, and it's so unrelated to European stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully there'll be some, you know, Native American academic who will write like you know the ultimate tome, and I can just buy it. You know, that, that's yeah, what I'm yeah. hoping. You know, because mm-hmm. you know, maybe, you know, maybe there'll be something like that. But um, that that's what I'm hoping for, anyway. Okay. Uh, but you know, the, the Native American stuff is really interesting. Uh, unfortunately, most of the research that was done into it was, should we say, 19th century, so needs to be approached with caution. Okay. Yeah, it might right. be good, but yeah, that's fine. Okay. Um, but in terms of like European stuff, it goes into deep, deep time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking 40,000 BC. I was gonna, I was going to say, do we know? the origin of the werewolf? The speculation is what we can start with, speculation, right? So humans and dogs slash wolves have been around for a very long time. There's, uh, there's, there's cave paintings in the Sahara when it was, you know, from obviously dating from when it was um, covered in things where you can see paintings of men hunting with a dog or a wolf or something. So it mm. is obviously deep, deep into the time of humans. Uh, and there's, there's paintings that are sort of about 20, 30,000 years old in France that clearly show a painting of a wolf. Why they painted it, we don't know, but it's certainly there. And so clearly humans and wolves have coexisted for a very long time. And the blurring line between wolves and dogs is is hard to define. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's oh, if you've seen the movie I think it's called Alpha about like the you know, the guy who, who it's like a fantasy but it's about somebody who, the first guy to sort of like get a wolf into like a primitive Neolithic tribe uh, it's, it's a pretty good watch 
Um, mm-hmm. and, but you can see that, that it was brought into, you know, the wolves just hanging around by early humans and things like that. And they feed them a bit and they help them hunt and so on. Mm-hmm. But the crossover... Yeah, I, the, I had, yeah, I heard that it was to do with keeping other predators away or could alerting yeah, the predators, yeah, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it could be. I know that even now in places in um, uh, in the Middle East, there's a, or sorry, uh, in the desert areas, they have this semi-friendly relationship with wild wolves. They're not tame, and they okay. know that they will keep away other predators, so they leave a bit of meat out for them and things yeah. like that. Um, so the wolves are kind of – they're still wild. They're not pets. So that's – you know, you can see it there that people are thinking, well, finding a solution. Well, if we have these wolves running around, as long as we don't mess with them, they won't mess with us. Yeah, the and they're, wolves, they're happy to get food. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the concept of wolves always attacking humans is not really a thing. No. Um, uh, they were seen as, should we say, um, predators in terms of uh, crops or unattended livestock, that kind of thing, but not constantly attacking humans. That's that's not really true. But they were still thought of in the same way we think of rats. They're not going to kill us, but they're going to be a problem. Okay. You know, that, that kind of thing. And obviously in the Middle Ages, there was seriously considered a problem to do with livestock because livestock was money. Um, okay. But, but but the real big sort of first marker we can find in the geological record is a place called uh, Krasnosimarsko in what is modern-day Ukraine, where they found this grave site of thousands and thousands of, well, not that, but hundreds of dogs killed. Now, clearly killed for some kind of ritual purpose. What that was, we don't know. Um, but you can read the paper on that um, by David Anthony and Dorcas Brown. And David Anthony's written a really interesting book called Horse, the Wheel, and Language that I highly recommend. It's a bit heavy going, but it's really worth looking at. And it, their theory was this is some kind of ritual place because they weren't just killing these just for, for laughs. They were doing this as some kind of symbolic act, killing the dog. Are they taking the spirit of the dog or the wolf? Hard to know because they had no written language at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was certainly a thing. And, of course, the people from that area, um, the, should we say the proto-Indo-European, Indo-European people, they proliferate and they expand and they migrate from that sort of area, the the steppe area, um, to, you know, uh, Greece, to Rome, uh, to, to Spain, uh, uh, to modern-day Germany, to, Nor- you know, to modern-day Scandinavia, and even as far as England and Ireland. And wherever those people went over time, that forms some kind of symbolic connection with wolves because that's the kind of culture they're bringing with them. Mm-hmm. And in various different places, it takes a different form. But it's worth noting that um, in, in places like Greece and Rome, uh, they talked about the further north you go, the, the more weird wolfy stuff you get. And when by north, I mean closer to that ancestral homeland. And even writers at the time were talking about how, oh, yeah, those people up in the north, they do this weird wolf thing where a guy goes and does a thing and he thinks he's a wolf for a year and then comes back and transforms back. Now, they were making fun of these primitive people, but certainly there was clearly some kind of wolf connection with the north. And you see that in Greek mythology as well. Um, there's 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 a, Apollo's mother gives birth to him and then there's like links with Apollo and wolves and Apollo's son uh, is also uh, Melitos is linked in with wolves. So there's this constant connection with um, wolves being kind of cool, but also really evil at the same time. So this is like this um, 
sort of dichotomy there between uh, wolves and what have you uh, in all these different things. And I'm skipping over thousands of years of history here because we can get to the Vikings, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but this is, I'm, I'm condensing a lot here, but because I've read a lot of stuff on it, but there, there's, there's all kinds of even weirder medieval stuff to do with dog-headed men, uh, okay. which is not quite the same as werewolves. Uh, and I've done some online talks with a friend of mine who's a professional storyteller. I found some very unusual stories about Christian werewolves who literally went beast mode and killed a bunch of people and and all, all that kind of some very unusual stories there. Um, and that's linked into the Alexandrian romances. Not romance as in Barbara Cartland, but as in cool stories about with where weird stuff happens. Like mm-hmm. like the Arthurian tales are, cl- are classed as a romance as opposed to, you know, people falling in love and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the kind of broad background to this. And wherever the, um, somebody's mentioned Romulus and Remus. Well, Romulus and Remus, very quickly there. Um, there's a theory that says that the Romulus and Remus story of them being cast out by one tribe and suckled at the teat of a wolf. And you see that famous statue, the Capitoline wolf of the two babies sort of suckling at the teat of the wolf. That might have been a metaphor rather than them genuinely suckling at the teeth of a wolf, because I don't think humans would get much nutrition from that, frankly. But no, it might would be... It not be... Would it not work? I mean, I'm, 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 I'm speculating no. I mean, I'm no biologist, but I'm thinking, you know. Uh, but I think it might have been a metaphor that they were cast out by one tribe and joined another wolf-based group that was led by a matriarch. So the okay. job being, oh, I see they've left our tribe. Now they're, you know, they're, you know, they're suckling at the teat of the, you know, uh, of the wolf mother mm-hmm. as a kind of like a, like a derogatory term for some kind of female led tribe. Okay. Maybe. Um, so that was that. But again, the Romans like their whole wolf cult. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff I found on Lupercalia, which even the Romans thought was old and weird in their time. Mm-hmm. And Lupercalia was not just one day, it was essentially like the Roman Halloween. But it lasted a month. There was all kinds of wild and weird, like um, festivals and stuff, which were so popular. They continued the Christian era until a bishop and a pope went. You know, you, this is this is not. Come on, guys, this is not really Christian. So yeah, we know it's not, but people really love it. It's kind of fun. So yeah, but it, it went on a long time, and there's all kinds of stuff I can link about um, the Lupercalia festival there, and all the. I mean, there's a suggestion that Lupercalia was linked in with um, fertility. Um hard to conclusively prove but certainly there was something like when the guys used to run through the streets semi-naked wearing wolf skins or beast skins they would carry sticks to hit the the palms of women who were hoping to conceive so there's some kind of fertility thing there and i'll come back to a a much more much later uh thing about uh, linking with wolves and skins and stuff to do with fertility which is very odd but nobody quite knows its origin Mm-hmm. Um, so all, all this culture is kind of like spreading around this this group of people who have, are obsessed by wolves. Maybe they hunted like wolves. They copied the style of wolves. We don't really know, but there's something there, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of different theories. Um, there's, a, a, there's, I think it's a Richard Knight wrote a book called Blood Rites that suggested that people lived their lives by the cycles of the moon. So when women were menstruating, the men would go out hunting because that was when the moon was full. And I mean, it's highly speculative, but... Maybe, maybe it certainly could could fit in there. Um, so all these different cultures, I won't go too much at the Roman and the Greek stuff because we've covered that, but essentially all of this sort of culminates in the more much later sources where people are, quote unquote, more primitive in Scandinavia and, and also Ireland as well. 
and the Scandinavian thing about wolves, and they were obsessed with them because you think of all the heroes who are named after wolves or just normal names like mm-hmm. Thorolf or Ulf, you know, or, or, or Haralf or, 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 or Thorolf. Anything with Ulf or Ulf in the name is derived mm-hmm. from a wolf. Seems to be bears on wolves. Oh, bears on wolves, the... absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the the bear cult's a whole different thing, but we, we, we'll we save that for next Halloween. Yeah, maybe. yeah. <laughs> yeah stick, stick to wolves. For absolutely, this absolutely. Um, but they, you know, they, they were obsessed by wolves, but also they hated them at the same time. So there's this kind of thing like, oh, wolves are cool. I want to have the power of wolf. But also there's another word for wolf uh, in the Norse, which is vagar which if you trace it into linguistics is linked to older words like vrikolak or hulkwas or strangler or something that will grab you. So it's like a derogatory, nasty word. And later on, it becomes a synonym for criminals. So now here's, this is, this is speculative. So I've drawn, draw the line now. This is, this is not sourced. Mm -hmm. Um, So the, the, the speculative thing I have is if you think of the sound a good dog makes, it goes woof. Whereas a bad wolf or bad dog growls. Mm-hmm. So you think Varga sounds like a growl, whereas Ulf is like a wolf. Now, I've got no proof of that. That's just my own personal spin on that. But a good dog does what you ask it to do, does this, whereas a bad dog bites you and kind of does nasty things, or a bad wolf. It, it's tenuous, I, I admit that. But that's mm-hmm. the two sides of that thing going on there because there were so many people named after wolves and they talked about wolf power and all kinds of mm-hmm. things, but also they hated them at the same time. So yeah. it's that kind of, well, did you like him? Did you not? Because Odin has wolves, and if they're hated, yeah. he wouldn't have them. No, and he- uh, they come up, obviously, throughout the mythology. You mm. have Fenrir, which I guess is, uh, yeah. people have their opinions on Fenrir. But there's, there's, Yeah, there's like a couple of schools of thought on on Fenrir, but some people say, well, he's misunderstood or tricked and that kind of stuff. I feel Fenrir. like that's more of a modern idea, personally. Well, I think they, you know, they, I think there should be room for modern ideas. You know, put mm-hmm. a different spin because you know, culture isn't static. Things develop and things change, and it's not for me. But if somebody wants to have a different perspective, and you know, I think go for it. Frankly, yeah, um, I think I, I think in modern times, and not not wrongly, I think a lot of people try to find good in mm-hmm. things. Yeah, um, especially people love animals. People love dogs. It's a very mm-hmm. sad story. Yeah, yeah, being bound. Um, but I think he he is originally intended to be like a not not necessarily an evil creature, but mm. a bringer of kind of a bringer of death. This kind oh, of oh yeah. Whereas I think a lot of people now say, yeah, he's misunderstood, and it's like I don't know, I don't know. I think he is quite yeah monstrous. But you get these these wolves. Obviously, you have Skull and Hattie. Well, Scott, I was just going to mention Skull and Hattie, who are pursuing the sun and the moon forever. Mm-hmm. But one day they will catch the sun and the moon and eat them, and then everyone will die. Yeah. But that's not the end because Ragnarok has also got a rebirth because the certain gods survive and everything starts again. So maybe. Uh, so the skull and Hati and but uh, Gary and Freki, the um, the two wolves of Odin, are called hungry and hungrier, or hungry and uh, you know hungry and starving. Essentially, is what they translate as. Mm-hmm. And he's described as a friend to wolves. You think well, what a kenning. Now, I'm sure people on this podcast are familiar with Kennings. What do you mean as a friend to wolves? He kills lots of people so there's dead bodies for them to eat. So that's why he's their friend. So yeah. that's that's what it really means, a friend to wolves. So it's a bit of a double-edged sword there. Um, but so obviously there's there's Gary and Freddy. These are all the, um, uh, the symbolic and mythological 
uh, wolves that are and various different things. But but also, I mean, I'm just you know comment there about um, wolves in the sagas. And there's um, the oldest one we know about is 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 things like um, in the saga of the Volsungs. There's a number of werewolves and things in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is actually unnamed, but it's um, uh, Sigurd's mother who turns herself into a wolf. And there's uh, 12 brothers, and every night she comes and kills and eats one. They're all kind of chained up. And eventually there's one guy left, Sigurd. And what he does, he gets some help. (laughs) I know where you're going with this. Oh, yeah, yeah. He covers his face in honey, and the wolf licks his face. Oh, this is great. And he bites the wolf's tongue and bites it off. And this mm-hmm. causes it to die, and he kind of frees himself and kills the wolf. And oh, he's killed like you know the the, the betrayer's mother. But interestingly, the the postscript to that, he then lives wild in the woods, kind of like a werewolf anyway, for a bit. So that's a that's the first sort of reference to uh, to sort of uh, transformation there. And if people are interested in female werewolves, which we don't have time to get into because I know we've got short enough time. But um, I've got a, I'm going to drop this on the uh, on the Facebook group. It's a little talk I did a couple of years back, specifically about female werewolves in mythology and, and things like that. Not just in Viking, but also in in Greek and various other things there. So, so that's sorry, yeah. The other one thing is um, for people listening, we do have a Facebook group. It's just not a mythology podcast. Uh, jump in there. A bunch of the guest posts bonus stuff in there we also update on episodes uh but is there a distinction between male and female werewolves are they not just well werewolves yes and no because the first thing is like the further back you go and i've mentioned this before on on other podcasts uh, that the what a werewolf is by our modern things doesn't necessarily mean the past it can really vary hugely because uh there was not the 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 trope bible you couldn't just look at oh well that's what werewolves do i know what that is Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, nowadays everybody has a, an idea. Oh, it's somebody who transforms. They turn into a half dog thing. They're super muscly. They're super strong, and all this kind of stuff. They wear plaid and they wear like some ripped jeans. Well, that's a. Mu- I mean, yeah, that, that that's the common trope. Well, that, that's fine in kind of like your modern horror stuff. But much older things, it's very, very different. It seems very weird because sometimes it's a spiritual transformation, as in you take on the spirit of the wolf. I'm going to be a hunter. I'm going to be a warrior, and I will pray to you know. I, I will wear a wolf skin and that kind of stuff, um, which is they're not physically transforming, but they kind of. Uh, if you think like a, I mean, a crappy sort of analogy would be um, like football teams where people are into you know um, a particular animal that, or something that's associated with their team. They don't actually turn into that. Mm-hmm but they like all the iconography and and the things that go with that. And if you push that further into some kind of warrior band or people who have a particular cult or relationship to an animal or something, you can see how that would get reinforced over generations. But I I guess guess on that point, then you would have, I think most people would have heard of the Ulfhedna. And then obviously in, in the saga of the Volsungs, you have like, the, it's the Sinfjotli, I think, yeah. In, yeah, is is the character, and him and is, his friend, it, him and his friend, yeah, they, yeah, they put on the wolf skin. They go to this hunter's cabin and they find these skinned, these wolf skins just hanging up. Oh, that's interesting. Well, and of course they just go, oh well, I'll just try them on because of course you would, and they yeah. try them on, and then they turn into these sort of half-human wolves, and they can't take off the skins; they're kind of stuck in them. And they kind of end up being wolves for like a long period and kind of do all kinds of crazy things. And eventually they make it back to the the hut and are, are finally after, I think it's 10 days, they're able to peel them off and go back to being human again. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting. 
do they genuinely mean that this was a period of time where they became like essentially robbers and just nicked loads of stuff and eventually went, actually, no, we shouldn't be doing this? Or, or do they mean they genuinely turned into wolves? So was it a kenning that people at the time would have got? Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, it's hard to know. So you have to be very careful with these sources. Are they physically turning into it? Or are they, is it like a distorted account that's come down where somebody is, oh, well, we joined a bunch of robbers for a bit. It was great. And then actually, actually, no, this is this is not for us. We're going to kind of leave these wolves. Because, I mean, actual wolf skins are pretty good, pretty tough. So they're not like armor, but they're certainly tough against regular sort of blows and things like that. Um, so people could have worn them as some kind of protection or some kind of... Um, light armor you might say mm -hmm. uh, so that is certainly a thing to consider i guess it also, is, yeah it's it's from the same saga where the mother turns into the wolf. exactly yeah it's so also it, from the, yeah it wouldn't from the be the Volsons, yeah yeah it wouldn't be out of the realms of possibility that they just became wolf men well it it's possible it, it, but again we're, we're kind of like you know if you think of I always think we've got to think of like, imagine a thousand years from now and somebody says, well, this guy was a shithead. Mm -hmm. And somebody doesn't know that phrase, but he actually carried feces on his head. Was it some kind of symbolic act? Yeah, or or do they do they not understand it? No, he was just a terrible person. But if you yeah. don't have that um, context of the idiom, you might not, what are they getting at? You know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think... We have to be careful about that. Yes, it would be cool if they did try and turn the wolves. So that'd be great. And maybe it is just a completely fantasy story. But I always think there's going to be a grain of truth or some kind of distortion there that sort of comes down to us. Um, mm. I mean, even even as a heathen, I think you know we have to be very careful with the sources and kind of like, well, this is great, but what what would people at the time have thought of this? And I think that's something we have to look at. Also, we said good muffin. Goodness me, that's an American person, I'm sure. Because um, <laughs> because what would class as a werewolf versus becoming just just transforming into a wolf for a little bit of time and then transforming back in human? Because to me, a werewolf, like you said before, is some kind of part human, part wolf hybrid, mm -hmm. where you have kind of the features yeah. of both. Um, yeah, so I don't know what I would I would say if you just transformed into wolf. I'd be I, like think, I think I think that's wolf. a modern idea. That's that's my personal view. I think it's a modern idea that these half human hybrids. Okay. Um, uh, the oldest story we've got is I think it's Petronius Satyricon, which is a sort of proto novel from the Roman era, where a guy takes all his clothes off and then turns into a wolf and he's shot at or, or not shot at but like attacked and comes back and turns back to human but they find his leg has the same wound that was inflicted on the wolf the full take all your clothes off you turn it to a wolf you do the thing you come back is, but so, but not, is that like an actual wolf not well, like a yeah, well yeah it's wolf. an actual wolf that's the okay. thing it's it, it, it's a person who turns into a thing not like a halfway house thing yeah um so but that is a novel uh as opposed to this is a thing that happened Mm -hmm. So there's uh, there's also accounts of people being cursed because they don't do what a god says in like kind of a Greco-Roman mythology. Oh, you know, will you be my lover? Well, no, I'm not into that. Right? Well, you're cursed. You're going to be a wolf and be hunted forever. Deal with that because you know the gods okay. are petulant, certainly in that era. Um, so there's that. Certainly, people being cursed to be wolves. Uh, there's a similar thing in in Irish mythology with the wolves of Ossory, where a priest um, is sheltering from a storm. And this person wearing a wolfskin turns up and says, can you give the last rites to my wife? And the priest's like, sorry, 
who are you? What What's going on? Said, oh, me and my wife were cursed to be werewolves forever. And he's like, well, clearly you're just an old man wearing a wolf skin. What's this about? And he said, no, no, no. We, you know, our whole tribe was cursed to be werewolves. Nothing we can do about it. And he's like, oh, all right. Are you Christians? Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're cursed. What are you going to do? And it's clearly just an old man and his wife wearing wolf skins. And it's, is it meant to poke fun at the Irish? Was it a way of like the English writers making fun of these, all these stupid primitive Irish people? maybe or was it some kind of distorted version of some ancient irish wolf cult that these were the last two survivors of it's really hard to know but certainly um wolves are certainly linked into things like um uh robbing and thievery they okay. tell, like uh, in, in irish mythology you talk about them to go wolfing okay. you know it's literally was just to just randomly raid not necessarily kill people but to to go and nick stuff and just like you know essentially ritualize gang warfare that kind of stuff just a bunch of guys that, you know, they've got some swords, just menace somebody and take their stuff. Um, so that that was, a, I mean, it's literally in, in the Irish sources called, you know, the, and the, there's other things there as well. But um, but to drag it back to the Norse stuff, um, to talk about uh, the, the the concept of the uh, Ulf Hednar and all that, and the Berserkers, uh, and, and possibly the Svinfil King as well. Um, it's a really, it's very hard to really know what was going on there. Um I'd like there to be a really cool source that says these Ulfhetnar were taking magic mushrooms. They were nine foot tall, covered in muscles and invulnerable to blades. That'd be great. Unfortunately, that's probably not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish it was, because that'd be great, you know? But um, the likelihood was that the Ulfhetnar were a combination of people who were good fighters. So instead of being a farmer, two-thirds of the time, and then a bit of sword fighting. Somebody, uh, a king says, you guys are great. Okay, I'm going to pay you. You'd have to be a farmer or a blacksmith or a fisherman. Just train all day and just be really, really good. So they would be exceptionally good. The equivalent of like a Premier League footballer playing somebody from a, from a you know, from like a pub league. They're yeah. playing the same game, but you're leagues ahead of them in terms of your skill and your ability because you don't do anything else you literally train all day as being a swordsman mm. or, yeah, or a warrior it's it's i guess it's like today if you have a trained soldier versus somebody who maybe goes to the shooting range yeah exactly a of, maybe a couple of times a week it's just a different thing yeah you might be good with a gun at a yeah. shooting range but it's a very different thing when it comes to pointing that at somebody and making exactly. a decision and having to be cool under pressure when somebody else is trying mm-hmm. to shoot at you. It's it, it, they're just apples and oranges. They're just very exactly. different things. And and being trained to be that person gives you a huge advantage. And, and there's a th- there's a, there's an additional theory that says, um, as well as these super trained guys, there were people who essentially were suffering from what we would call PTSD. They've been involved in some kind of horrific act. They've seen their friend cut down beside them and they can't cope with normal society anymore. They just can't cope with it. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll put you with these guys who do nothing but fight. Yeah. That's all you're good for now. So you're sort of traumatized in some way. So you get these people who are super trained fighters and people who just can't cope with, they just want to go and kill or or just Mm -hmm. do something. So you get some, yeah. I would say, yeah, I find, I find things like that very fascinating. Mm. Um, because I wonder how they would have treated things like I, I, mental, like illness, a mental I mean, yeah. illness. Yeah, because obviously, today we we kind of understand a little sure. bit of PTSD. We know that it's from horrific things that have happened. Uh, it causes an effect, hmm. but 
I have no doubt, you know, they were still humans. They still, as much mm-hmm. as we glorify it today of this, this yep. warrior culture, they go around hacking each other or whatever. That's kind of a, a modern lens that we put on it. They very, they very much wouldn't have wanted to be around murder and, yeah. yeah. Well, you think if somebody who's just like, he's not bad with a sword and somebody raids his village and kills everyone, his wife and family and all his friends are all dead and him, him two of his mates are, all survive, that's mm-hmm. going to have an effect on you. Yeah, I Can, think do you even... want to go back to having a family? Well, no, I, I can't cope. So go and go with these berserker dudes and, you know, you either fight or survive or you just want to just take revenge or whatever. So essentially you have some people who are super trained and some people who are, should we say, mentally unwell. I hate to use the word crazy, but essentially that would not be. Mm-hmm. So you get a mixture of people like that uh, yeah. who are put at the front of, uh, you know, the the battle, you know, the, you know, the toughest guys, but also the baddest bastards as well, who are just mm-hmm. going to be absolutely crazy. And you're going to be like, these guys aren't even wearing armor. What the hell? And, you know, yeah. they're going to, you know, well, that's going to be terrifying. But, the, but then going to that, that mental illness side again, that could also come down to people who suffer with PTSD to get to the point of, like, a suicidal... Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, thought, yeah. Where it's like, I just don't I just don't care anymore. I'm not bothered uh, absolutely, absolutely. if I die in battle, so I'm not going to wear... Exactly, wear I think that could be part of it. Because if you think you've got those people who are a danger to themselves and others, well, we'll put those guys at the front... Because we don't want them in the middle of, you know, trying to you know, form a shield wall or whatever. The, these guys are kind of, you know, so put them right at the front, uh, you know, uh, and and just do something like that. Just, you know, if, if you want to die in battle, well, great, but do that away from all the other people who would kind of like to stay alive. Yeah. So I, I think I, that, I, I mean, my take on that is that it was possibly part of it as well. But the thing is with the Ulfednar, which uh, they were being mythologized even at the time. They were being bigged up. It's like, oh, they were hyped up. Oh, they're not, these guys are amazable. Oh, they're unkillable. You can't even cut them. Now, I think that, to me personally, I think that's a kenning. It's not that you couldn't cut them, that their skin was invulnerable. I think they were so good with a sword, you couldn't get near them. Mm-hmm. In the same way, like somebody who's a good martial artist or a good boxer, I couldn't lay a hand on him. It's not that yeah. he was protected by a force field. It's just he's so good, you just can't even get near him because he's training all the time and you're just a dude. Mm-hmm. I, so they're kind of untouchable. Yeah, you just can't get close to him. It's, you know, well, like I say, with like playing, if you're a public guy playing against like, you know, a, a, a you know, you know, Ronaldo, I mean, he's essentially playing the same game. He's just a man in a sports kit kicking a ball, but he's going to be past you in no time so quickly that you might as well just give up and go home. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be that level of difference, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that to me is, I think, um, is 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 one theory. But there's a, there's another sort of bolt on to the whole Ulf Hednar thing, um, which it's this is hyper hypothesis, so this is not backed up by evidence. But the theory is that there was the three types of people, probably based on physical size, right? If you're a massive dude, like a big chunky fella. Right, so you would be a, a you know a, a berserker type. You'd have a big club. So no matter how heavily armored, if you're just like a massive dude, just batter people. No sophistication, but you're just like a massive dude. And you have the people who are a bit more skilled, a bit more armor, and but they move fast. You know, you can run fast. So they're the kind of Ulfhetnar. They kind of run like a pack, go diving in the middle of things. And they kind of all defend each other, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And the third type be the Svinfilking, which is probably just a fighting formation, but some academics have said it might have been a type of warrior 
who are the most heavily armored, probably short dudes who oh, can't run very fast, but they've got like the most armor and they're absolutely charging in the middle of it as a kind of tight pack, kind of to the break gimlis. through the ranks. The Viking gimlis. That's what Basically, yeah. Like, so yeah. It, it, it's to do with body type as opposed to sort of um, skill, perhaps. Um, I never thought about that. Um, hmm. I guess it kind of, kind of makes sense that you would have in the same way today in in the army it's not yeah. just like you don't just get the army mm. <laughs> you know you have infiltrate you have snipers your mm. paratroopers it's mm-hmm. all different segments based on different people's skills and how what they've learned and trained to be and you have your own little platoon mm-hmm. i guess um which could be similar to the berserker the Ulf had now you have these little group of warriors who are trained in a similar fighting mm. style i mean this is probably only in a very brief period because this is when harold fairhair was um uh, harold finehair was essentially uniting all these things to having massive armies and he had the wealth to say well instead of just being a part-time guy i'm going to take the you know the maddest bastards who are like the toughest guys i'm going to pay you money you don't have to be a farmer or anything else just literally trained to fight i'm going to have you at the front and absolutely, you know, go crazy and do that sort of thing. So there were already, there was a fighting culture and a sword-bearing culture. So if you're then trainable on that, you're going to be phenomenally good, particularly against people who are just, um, you know, you think of um, just hired people to just be guards as opposed to warriors. So mm. that's a whole different thing, which is why when some of those people go to um, uh, Constantinople and join the Varangian Guard, they were phenomenally good compared to anybody else because they've been holding a sword since they were little kids compared to somebody who'd just been, would you like to be a soldier? Okay, we'll give you six months training. As opposed to somebody who'd, who just loves to do it, who's done it his whole life, it's their whole culture, they're mm. going to be a whole different thing. So they were phenomenally, uh, uh, did phenomenally. And also the fact coming from, you know, Norway in some little hut somewhere or a little hof and you go to um, Constantinople where there's wine by the barrel load and, all the wine women in song or probably men as well goodness knows uh you know that you want uh and and all you have to do is defend this thing and just kill a bunch of people when they tell you and mm-hmm. you can imagine being a viking or a big norse guy that sounds amazing so i just get to kill people and, and you keep giving me wine fantastic so yeah you can certainly see that yeah uh, I, I i'm trying to put it into terms of myself and i feel like um you know i've i just got a wood burner so i started chopping <laughs> I started chopping wood with an axe, so I can swing an axe, which yeah. I guess possibly some people back then could have mm-hmm. done if they had their their homestead. They they would be chopping wood. They would be doing, you know, using tools. Yeah. Um, if someone then came along and said, "We're we're now at war. You're mm-hmm. the eldest son, or you're a fighting age. You can now have to come and help fight. Yeah. It's it's the king's, the yarl's orders. Off you go. Um, I feel like so if. if if I was in that situation now and I went up to somebody who actually knew how to use a sword, I'd be fucked. I'd yeah. just swing it at them. And I yeah. know that they're just going to parry it or move out of the way. And then they're just going to stick me with the pointy end. And that's it. There is a suggestion. And this is, this is again, tenuous, but it has been reported in a couple of things that they had some kind of thing that we would probably think of as a martial art. Maybe. Because the people who were uh, went to the uh, the Constantinople, the Varangian Guard, and those kind of people, there's a, a thing where they asked everybody to perform. And this, um, Hilda Roderick Ellis Davidson talks about this, and uh, 
there's a bit where they describe the strange motions. And I forget what they, they would call them, like Vikings, but of, of the Northmen who come in and demonstrate something to these strange dancers. And I wonder, you know, the way that in martial arts you have a kata where you demonstrate all your fighting techniques. Mm-hmm. And I wonder whether it was something like that. This is them demonstrating, this is your, your practice routine. Impossible to truly know. But or they could I, just have been a dance troupe. And no, but they were they were warriors. They, they were definitely just... warriors. Like a hacker. Somebody mentions a hacker. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, so that's a, a possibility. It, it, again, we're into tenuous stuff, so I'm trying, I want to be clear that, because there's an awful lot of rubbish talked about Ulf Hedner and, and, and uh, Berserkers online, and I want to make it clear what the difference is between what we know and what would be cool if it was true. <laughs> well, well, with the like the, the hacker, that kind of warrior dance, yeah. we, we spoke with Roderick Dale. Oh, who, Love his stuff. Who knows everything about mm, berserkers. Mm. Uh, and that's one of his ideas, is this idea that possibly the berserker was a type of dance mm. yeah. or warrior-like. Because we see it in other cultures. It's mm-hmm. not just yeah. New Zealand that have the haka. You have like Fiji, Samoa. They all have their own versions mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. this warrior dance in the Pacific Islands. And I have no doubt that that would have kept in probably without you without even if you think of like changing of the guard with like the spinning of the rifles and standing in certain ways Mm -hmm. that's related to military actions it's not just like a dance but if you didn't know about the military actions you'd think well what are these guys wearing red coats like spinning stuff around and you know but essentially it's like a it's a symbolic or representation of how you would act in the field Mm -hmm. i think Uh, i think more than that, though, like a like a hacker or like a warrior dance mm. is more. You're, I guess, inviting the challenge. You're, oh yeah, you're inviting the enemy on, and you're kind of hyping yourself up mm-hmm. for battle rather oh, than yeah. maybe rather than necessarily showing techniques. It's more, yeah, yeah, an imbuing of the spirits and the. Well, this is where it comes you. back to. This is where we bring it back to werewolves, right? Because the idea of them um, taking on the spirit of the wolf to do this kind of uh, spiritual act. So it's like this theory, um, uh, Josh Rude or uh, Joshua Rude has uh, talked about this as well, that um, there might have been a, a, a cult of Odin where people are taking on this spirit of the wolf and we embody the spirit of the wolf. So this is what we should be like, and this is how we feel, and this is how we act. They're not turning into wolves, but they're obsessed by them in terms of iconography, and things like that. And there's a thing called the spear dancers where people danced maybe on the tips of spears or kind of hurt their feet a bit to kind of like get them into the kind of um, frenzy. It's again, it's it, it's tenuous and hard to truly know what was going on there. Some people have said that this is related to the kind of sword dancers that have come into the kind of Scottish stuff. Again, that's tenuous stuff. Um, I wish it was true and if people can find comprehensive evidence, love it. Um, so there's that. But this idea of like the wolves being very much part of, of um, the warrior culture is huge, you know, very mm-hmm. much so. But also in the same way that you've also got the word vaga, which is like outcast. You're a wolf and you're bad and you're cast out. That would seem to be an outcast. You think, well, so what? You're just cast out. And what that means is essentially you've got no access to food, no access to shelter, laws don't apply to you. Anybody can kill you and they won't even get prosecuted. That's a that's a tough, tough, that's a terrible thing to have be cast mm-hmm. out of your community. Um, and the few people who survived that being an outcast were seen as like 
How the hell did that guy survive? Being an outcast in Iceland in the winter? How did he survive? What the hell? You know, that was why it was recorded in some of the sagas. Like, yeah. you're an outcast and you're still alive? How? You know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But we have, um, we do have like a, a, a symbiotic relationship with dogs. Mm. And, but you do get, particularly, probably less so now because dogs are very, domesticated mm-hmm. now um you know i have rocco he's floating around here somewhere <laughs> uh he's just a soft little puddle of yeah fluff and just loves cuddles whereas you know he somewhere down his line descends from a wolf all dogs yeah. descend from wolves at some point um so i think we have a much softer relationship with them now whereas when we're still kind of going through that and it is a domesticating phase sure. where you get you have a good a good wolf or a, a what I don't know what point a wolf becomes a dog. Um, someone well, it, it, knows it, that. Yeah, it, it is a it is a tricky thing because uh, you know there's various debates as to when do wolves and dogs diverge. Yeah, exactly. But you have, you know, you have a good wolf and mm-hmm. he behaves. You give it food. You have a bad wolf um, mm-hmm. who steals the food or bites somebody or steals yeah. the the crops, kills the cattle. Then you have to go and kill. Mm-hmm. Kill the wolf because that's how domestication works. You yeah. kill kill the bad ones. You keep the good ones. The good ones breed, and eventually you get chihuahuas uh, in, a, <laughs> in a roundabout way. Um, well, I mean, I, I, yeah, that's certainly part of it. I mean, that's that's um, you know again highly speculative, but it is it, it to me it seems very likely that that is how things could have evolved. And um, the um, the idea of uh, wolves and and uh, creatures evolving or behaving in certain ways and people aping that behavior uh, is certainly deep, deep in, in sort of uh, Norse mythology or like Norse culture, because you see carvings of wolves and references to wolves, you know, not just in the mythology, but also in people's names and places and all kinds of things. Um, people talk about the, the wolf winter and so on. And you see that in uh, medieval France, like the worst winter is called the wolf winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, you know the wolf being uh, uh, like an almost like an adjective to say oh well, this is really bad or this is really intense well, let's add the word wolf to it mm-hmm. so that's, that's certainly a thing um, yeah, well, I, I would just say I think that you know you could have a multitude of situations where you have a wolf it's it's you're quite close to it you're mm-hmm. domesticating it you're in a a relation some sort of relationship. Yeah between man and wolf yeah. uh, and then the wolf just says it doesn't want to be a pet because you mm. they were in that kind of that's that, that stage i guess where they yeah. are still wild animals uh so you kind of have to kill it or mm-hmm. cast cast it out if you're not able to kill it, he's going to cast mm-hmm. it out and so i wonder if that's where this idea comes from of the outcast human becomes a wolf because you you, you kind of have to do that with the animals you just well, I think the outcast wolf thing, or the wolves being synonymous with outcasts and criminals, as uh, a theory by an author from the 70s called Mary Roche Gerstein, who said that linking with uh, language, that this might be a very ancient idea. Now, it's been, I won't say debunked, but this uh, idea of them being like cast out and being bad and things that are on the fringe of society, that is very much uh, an idea. And um, the idea of the berserker is briefly cool, they're, they're cool, they're useful. But once Harold Feinherr has conquered Norway or conquered Scandinavia, there's no use for those people. You're a mm-hmm. kind of mad bastard warrior. 
Oh, you're a farmer? No, I haven't done farming in 10 years. Oh, do you do blacksmithing? Well, I haven't done that. So you're now this highly trained tough guy. And the ones who had any sense went to Constantinople and became Varangian Guard. The ones who didn't essentially became sort of like wandering problems. Mm-hmm. You see that in uh, you know that kind of comedy series um, Norsemen, where this the, this guy says, "Oh, I really like your house. I really like your wife. You've got lovely children. So I will challenge you to Holm Gang. You're, you're mm-hmm. going to win. Well, yes, I'll kill mm-hmm. you, and then I will take your wife and take your daughter, and this will be fine." And mm-hmm. they became a problematic thing. So I think it was about 1100 AD, um, or maybe earlier than that. Um, being a berserker, Wolf Hednar, whatever, anything like that is banned, right? Okay. Because they're a problem. Because if you're just super tough guy, he would, all, all he knows how to do is fight. Then yeah, but there's no wars to fight anymore. Can can you just not? And mm-hmm. but, you know, so that becomes a problem. Uh, this whole kind of wolf cult stuff, though. Yeah, that's because I was speaking with Rebecca uh, Merkel back mm. last last week, and we spoke briefly on berserkers. Yeah, and she was saying how you know there you have this glorified idea of berserkers. Mm today this this warrior this elite warrior yeah yeah um and she was saying and actually in a lot of sources they're just shitheads oh yeah true. there's a lot of abuse there's they're they're uh, they assault women they're not oh, they're awful they're, yeah yeah they're not nice people it's just that they've become glorified in well, i think in- you've got to remember that those sources that she's talking about are christians looking back at this this is pagan weird stuff so Anybody who's linked into that is is going to be painted a certain way, but equally, if you're a relic of a certain era, you think of like um, during the um, post-war period in France, there were people who were like ex-military who got into like weird politics and stuff like that and start to rob banks, and because that was all they knew how to do, they they, they knew how to handle guns, and they were just a problem. And you see that in various other things like that. So I think it was a mixture of. Uh, people who were military people who could not adapt back into, well, now there's no more wars, please stop being a fighter. And well, so people were, well, well no, I, I, I like killing people. It's good fun. I'm good at it. That's the, we see, we see that t- today. Yeah, true. You know, you, if you have a, a group of people that you train to be soldiers, whether mm. it's the elite warriors back in the Viking Age or today, mm. and then you go, oh yeah, but we're not at war now. So off you go, go and work it. Yeah. Go and work at the supermarket. Go to a normal nine to five. I mean, some people this. can adjust to that. They kind of leave that behind. I know people who, literally, you know, they've served in the military in in all kinds of ways, but literally, they never talk about it. They say, "Well, that part of my life is now closed." But so other people, they cannot adapt back into that, and they have all kinds of problems. And that's where you get, you know, um, military veterans being homeless and all kinds of problems when they come back. Yeah, there's a huge, there's a huge yeah. issue. Well, with, it's, a, it's a very serious problem. Yeah, sure. With military vets being able to 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 reestablish themselves back into yeah, normal life yeah. and then not having the support there. And I assume, you know, as little there isn't enough support now yeah. for veterans. But I mean there's back, there's a bit more than there used to be, but it's still not great. But but yeah, the but back in the in the Viking age, I imagine it's, well, it's nothing. Yeah. Non existent. It's okay, well you're we don't need you to fight right now. We're at a time of peace. Yeah. Um so then I guess you become a, a mercenary. You're... Well, those who had any smarts became a mercenary and kind of band together and became a mercenary over and you know and very you know hired themselves out. But those who didn't have that either money or access or whatever, they were just like wandering guys who were just really good at fighting 
with nothing else to do. They yeah. just like menace people, take their stuff. I'm trying to remember the, uh, the I think it's in Eggle's saga where he meets some uh, berserkers and they start to kind of like go into their berserk mode. They froth at the mouth and start to bite their shields. I think it's Eggle's saga. And he goes, oh, you're biting your shields and kicks the shield and knocks their teeth out. He goes, I'm having none of that. You know, and, <laughs> yeah, because Eggle's like a, he's like a bigger, you know, like a, like a, you know, like a, like a bad guy from like a higher league. He's come down to just be like, oh, you think you're tough? Oh, no, no, I'm Eggle. I'm like, uh, I'm ugly. And I killed a man when I was five. You know, yeah. you guys don't know anything. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, so essentially they become figures of fun or just like regular bad guys in the sagas. They they don't um, really uh, sort of uh, have any kind of uh, coolness to them. So any mm-hmm. kind of coolness is gone. It's the equivalent of like somebody being like, you know, like a prog rocker from the 70s. Oh, in the 80s? No, you're not cool, mate. You're just, no, you're, you're old hat. No one cares. Oh, but I've done this like 20 minutes solo. No one cares. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's it. And it's just like a cultural shift and with the Christianity coming in and they were just like seen as just like weird relics of a bygone age of, you know, of, of paganism and killing, which we're all past that now. It's all about farming, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, I mean, you see that in the sagas as well. Like the sagas change from being just accounts of crazy people doing like mad things like killing undead things. And suddenly it's all these sagas about, well, when this guy died, there was a big discussion about inheriting land. And then then his daughter married this other guy. And then it was about inheriting this and these long, tedious sagas about who inherited which bit of land and what this guy did to inherit this other bit of land. And incredibly tedious, but clearly very, very meaningful to the people at the time. Mm-hmm. So that kind of stuff, it's, you know, that is the kind of like the tail end of the berserker, the wolf cult. Yeah. And things like that. But we must mention, because I know time is uh, is fitting here, we must mention the were-whale. The were-whale? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I did promise this. I can't, like, mention that. And so this is in uh, uh, a later saga. I think it's part of the, um, what are called, either the legendary sagas or, unkindly, the lying sagas, uh, called Kettle's Saga. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit in it where somebody possesses a whale or sends a spirit into a whale to kind of like menace somebody uh and is it does he transform into a whale well it's not, it, it's kind of not clear but he does something with he kind of links his brain or links his mind to the whale to make it do mm-hmm. something uh so that is the closest we have to a were whale uh as some kind of uh if you think of a uh, Game of Thrones where somebody can link their brain to a raven and kind of see what's going on, it's that kind of concept of somebody becoming a were-whale. What, is uh, where, what does where mean? Okay, when... so um, where is an Anglo-Saxon word for human or man. Okay. okay. It's not quite as exciting as it might sound. You think, oh, does it mean something? No, it just means man. Very literal. Yeah, very little. Well, our ancestors were literal. You know, there's kind of like uh, a lot of terms of things are very, very blunt Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's one word I've, uh, which is a, uh, I won't repeat here, but it's a Geordie sort of slang word. Uh, and I thought, oh, it's just a Geordie slang word. I found out it was actually a Viking word. Oh, okay. Um, should we say for a part of the female anatomy? And, uh, and I thought that's, and it's a Viking word and that's become a polite word. So you don't have to say the words. You can just say, oh, and I think, wow, it's just like 
a thousand plus years and people are still using that as a kind of a polite word. Well, you know, uh, that kind of thing is like, well, you don't want to say the word, so you say this and yeah. It's incredible. The the linguistic survival of words is 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 fantastic. People never uh, change. It's true. It's true. Um, but uh, uh, but you know the, this idea of um, you know people um, changing and 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 turning into wolves, uh, although very alluring, was always a symbolic thing. Is really what I want, what I want to come back to, um, because uh, in the ancient most ancient sources. Outside of mythology, or people talk about that, it was all about taking on the mantle or the kind of like the spirit of the wolf or the the coolness of the wolf, uh, and that's how they um, they weren't physically turning into it. They weren't growing hair and kind of being this kind of semi thing. I mean, I, I can debunk a couple of like myths here. You know, the idea of like wool when you become a whale, if you come like have augmented strength, you must have mm-hmm. heard that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's from. A, a role-playing game from the 1990s. It's not you get old stronger. It's from the White Wolf game called Werewolf, When Will You Rage from the 1990s. A great role-playing game. Fantastic. It's nothing to do with ancient texts at all. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the idea of silver killing werewolves. Yeah, that's one. Everybody's heard of that. That's actually uh, a journalist after the uh, infamous events of the Beast of Gévaudan or Gévaudan in France in the 18th century, he just made up the things, oh, uh, this wolf was killed by a silver bullet that was blessed by a priest. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Utter rubbish. What it was, most people had guns that were crap. And finally, a guy who was a nobleman who had a really good gun was able to kill the creature. And some journalist a year later just made some stuff up that's I'd loved, it i'd love to know how much stuff is just made up well i mean all kinds of things are kind of i mean i as i say i have uh, my collection of books here and i have this notorious book werewolves right by um elliot o'donnell uh the book's a terrific read it's all utter bullshit <laughs> But it's a terrific read. And, and when I saw I had a copy that had the barcode over the eyes, I was like, oh, I have to have it. And it has the old book smell. And essentially, he was a guy who used to write kind of books in the um, 30s. And even at the time, people said, this book is rubbish. None of this is true. He just literally fake law, just made up all kinds of rubbish. Like uh, he talks about um, werewolf ice, that it, it cracks a certain way. And people in Norway talk about, no. He just made it up. There's, there's nothing to do with that. The only source is his book. It's just absolute rubbish. But isn't? But, couldn't you argue that all folk tales and folklore? Well, just yes. Made up? But he was literally just cutting it out of whole cloth. <laughs> literally everything in it is like, yeah. well, this story comes to me from somebody who who sadly died on the Titanic, so I can't ver- verify that. Oh, really, Elliot? Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, uh, people even the people at the time they said they they want his books put in the fiction section of libraries. Please don't put this in the, this is just, you know, if he'd been a fiction writer, he would have done better, really, I think. Uh, So Elliot O'Donnell, his his stuff is absolute nonsense, but a terrific read. Uh, (laughs) I will say that. Um, If you want a great little prime out on werewolves, I would say um, Sabine Bering Gould book, uh, The Book of Werewolves. You can download it for free. It's various things on that. Absolutely fantastic read. Very short book, very dense, uh, Terrific, terrific read. It's all sourced, so that's at least references actual things that happened as opposed to just made up off the top of his head by uh, Elliot uh, O'Donnell. 
Wonderful. Okay, so to summarize, we we don't really have half human, half wolf no. creatures from the Viking Age. We never did. There are modern. I mean, that'd be a cool idea. If somebody can find a source, I'm I'm absolutely willing to go with that. I, I'm I'm not, you know, like building a wall against that. But in all the research I've done, it all seems to be a spiritual transformation mm-hmm. outside of uh, certain types of mythology and things like that. Okay. Um, that's 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 my take on it. And uh, don't get me wrong, I think the ideas are cool, but um, to say that all oh, people were literally physically turning into werewolves, I mean, I'm not. Yeah, bit bit sus fair enough and then obviously we have the wolf cults which would which seem to be a type of warrior elite mm-hmm. i mean the best what we don't have we time have. to get into the the last bastion of the wolf cults would be actually islamic believe it or not there's oh. a bunch of islamic warriors in the kind of like i think 13th 14th century called the two-footed wolves uh okay. that's in the sort of like uh the the the, the near east there's that also very the, werewolf eh? it does doesn't it uh but they were just like really fearsome warriors but that was the name they were called and there's, there's the vratias in the early vedic period uh there and there's all kinds of other unusual things that they get in africa you tend to get werewolves you tend to get people called leopard men people who are yeah. like part leopard and so it gives to kind of shift and change in different sort of cultural things um, there's even like a concept of the Jewish werewolf, which again is is a whole different thing again. Um, the particular king who was cursed and lived as a beast for a year and a day or something like that. Uh, really interesting. Was he really living as, uh, as a beast or was it he taking the guilt of the tribe to kind of like taking it upon himself to kind of um, take the, the sin and kind of like, I will live in absolute filth. So I will take the yeah. sin away. So it, it's on me, course, not, yeah. not not anybody else. That could have been it. Mm-hmm. That's the book of Nebuchadnezzar. So there's all kinds of un- very very unusual things. It uh, makes complete. It does make complete sense that people would attach themselves to different ferocious animals because, mm. especially you know, today we're so detached from it. We live in our nice houses, towns, villages, True. and most for the most part, most people don't have to worry about wild animals just coming in. Eating yeah. your pets or mm. your children, or you at the worst case scenario, um, you know we just don't have to worry about that. So we don't have the predators around that would have been throughout mm. human history. So it makes sense back then why, if you were, if you wanted to be an elite warrior, you would look at these predatorial mm-hmm. animals mm-hmm. in a favorable light and be like. I'm like that. This thing that can move extremely fast has ferocious teeth, mm-hmm. has no kind of well runs as a pack. Well, like yeah. a pack of guys who are like really tough. We're all going to f- attack together. That kind of mm-hmm. we want to copy their style in the same way. Like um, certain martial arts styles, they well copy the actions of certain animals and that kind of thing. That, that kind of concept. Mm-hmm. The one thing I, I do want to mention is the whole concept of uh, Viking warriors taking psychedelics or psychoactives, which is a cool idea, but essentially based on nothing at all. There was some uh, reverend back in the middle, uh, not Middle Ages, sort of the 18th century, just wrote this article saying, I reckon they did, based on nothing. And those people just like repeated that. Oh, people uh, still fucking repeat uh, it. It's frustrating. I've heard two different uh, things, uh, interesting interpretations of that. One was they might have taken magic mushrooms or some kind of psychoactives after a battle to kind of decompress and kind of deal with the trauma of what they've been through, maybe, Mm -hmm. and that's Mm -hmm. tenuous. 
Um, there's that. Uh, uh, one theory which I have not confirmed, so this is really off into the realms of hypothesis, was that there's a theory about something called soma that was some kind of chemical mixture which made you so, almost super sane, in a sense. You didn't have any fear, and it made you super calm. So you weren't freaked out by blood and that kind of stuff. Now, that's a really wacky out there thing. Uh, and the person who told me he had some source for this never came back with his sources. So, Shock. you know, add as much salt as you want to that theory. I, I like the idea, but mm -hmm. I haven't really seen any sources for that or any proof. <sighs> People, people come up with the most wacky oh, things dear, on that. And, yeah. and we started, we've started doing a little segment each week, but I, I just didn't have a chance to put anything together this yeah. week because I have Comic Con of the weekend, which just takes sure. all my time. Um, but yeah, we've started trying to either at the end of the show, we like dispel some sort of misconception or yes, it's important we, to do that. Because I, want to find... I mean, I think that by dispelling the actual truth of what happened there is usually actually weirder and more bizarre yeah. than any kind of like made up stuff. For sure. Or we want to do just the wildest claims that we see people on the internet. So anybody who is in any Facebook groups, all like that, please do send us either on our Facebook or email us or send me them directly just wild claims that people make on the internet so we can kind of read them out and go through them in like a quick fire mm -hmm. type statement we'll we'll keep them anonymous to, to save their face but i often just find myself reading just ridiculous claims i don't know where people get it from i don't know where they kind of just uh come up with it it's just yeah, it's just un bizarre. It's like people just make stuff up and stick it on the internet and then expect everyone's going to believe them. Well, people do, unfortunately. I mean, I've seen all kinds of stuff, uh, claims about this and that, and research I've done about werewolves and stuff. And I think, oh, that sounds interesting. And when you dig into it, it's like, that's based on nothing at all, literally nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated by werewolves and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I was trying to, that's why I bought that um, Elliot O'Donnell book, purely to find those kind of like, uh, those um, spurious claims. Yeah. Uh, but I think when you dig into the actual sources, the actual books, um, it's much wilder and weirder than any of those kind of made-up things. Yeah. All kinds of unusual things you mm. you, you could discover. Um, not just, you know, uh, it, I mean, I, I I thought looking at werewolves would be like a, like a dead end. I wouldn't find very much. And I'm now spending vast amounts of cash on very expensive academic books that would explain all kinds of weird and wonderful, fantastic ideas. Oh, there's your own werewolf there. <laughs> right, yeah. Rocco decided he wanted to come for a cuddle, so... Well, as we're drawing to a close now, Dan, do you want me to rattle through some books for you uh, yeah, to recommend to people? absolutely. Please do. Okay, so I, I'm putting the Elliot O'Donnell to, to one side. Um, if you're interested in the Greek stuff recommend this uh, by Daniel E. Gershenson called Apollo the Wolf God. It's a great mm -hmm. book. Um, if you And also includes a thing at the back called The Trial of Otheus. That's a, a guy in Livonia, modern-day Sweden, who was accused of being a werewolf. And when he went to trial, he said, well, yes, I am, but I'm one of the good werewolves. Oh, and the judge was like, sorry, what? Said, well, what happens is I put the special belt on and then I go down to hell and fight Satan and all his demons. And then I come back to earth and that's fine. 
And they went, well, no, you're clearly just a Satanist. And they exiled him. They didn't execute him, but that's that's the thing that happened there. That's uh, an interesting one. Uh, highly recommended. The other one here is a more recent one, is Wolves in Beowulf and Other Old English Texts by Elizabeth uh, Marshall. Highly recommended okay. that one. Newish book. A bit pricey, but pretty good book. Mm-hmm. Lots of heavily sourced stuff. Now, he talks about um, wolves being out in the wilderness, and, and the concept of wilderness was a big thing because people felt that the laws of God and reality didn't quite apply. So there's a book by uh, Alexander Pluskowski, who sounds like a Russian man, but actually is an uh, English fellow who's uh, from Reading. So a bit of a boring cover, but Alexander Pluskowski, Wolves and the Wilderness in the Middle Ages. Highly recommend that one. Okay, wonderful. Now, if you want to get into big, big books, goodness me, this is a brand new book. It's just come out, and it's uh, called The Norse Sorceress. It's a huge old book. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, big book. Uh, I pre-ordered it. It was a bit cheaper. But it does have a chapter by uh, uh, Alexander Pluskowski, which I highly recommend. Uh, talking about um, wolves and things like uh, things like that. So, um, you know, uh, it's called Conjuring Canids, Wolves and Dogs in Viking Age Sorcery. Pretty mm-hmm. tasty stuff there. And Beast of Gevodan. Nobody knows what it was. Was it a wolf? Was it a female lioness? Nobody knows. There's some theories there. So um, this is a book um, by La Bête de Gevodan, translated by Derek Brockes. This is the only decent translation there. It's a self-pub thing, but it's not a bad read. It's it's the most comprehensive one. And last but by no means least, if you want to hear about dog men, dog-headed men in the Christian and European sort of early Middle Ages, there we go, dog men. Myths of the dog uh, men. Myths of the dog man by David Gordon White. Myths of the dog man. So there's there's a little flavor of some interesting, weird, wonderful books for you. If you're you're bookhounds. We'll put a list of them in there. I will indeed, absolutely. We'll pop it in the show notes. If you don't know what the show notes are, it's that little bit of text that you get at the bottom of the podcast when you click play. Uh, Yeah, perfect. Let's let's wrap this up and do a quick Q&A after the show. Uh, Do you have anything you want to plug? Um, uh, In terms of plug, I would like to plug the event we're doing next year, next August, which will be um, Hell's Moot. We're doing a big event uh, to the goddess Hell. Uh, it's all, all kind of spooky bones and all that kind of stuff. No, nice. uh, it's going to be um, in Lincolnshire, so that's going to be pretty exciting stuff. Again, we have a nice, safe environment. We have some decent security and stuff like that, so um, it, it, it's great for kids and families. And also, if you've got a partner who's heathen or you're not heathen, that's fine. So we have people who come who have no interest in this at all, but they like to go camping. One year we had a guy who was Christian who came. Oh, nice. And they said, like, oh, why have you come? He said, well, I've been camping with Christians. It's really boring. You know, you guys are <laughs> so he didn't take part in any of the rituals, fine, but he was not, he was respectful and he just like, he just, oh. it was just more, much more fun to chill with us. So that's fine. Um, so, you know, we try to be um, convivial and, and uh, so it, it should be pretty good. Uh, so looking forward to that uh, next year. So look up Astro UK and uh, Hell's Moot, the Great Heathen Gathering, if that oh, is uh, of interest to you. Yeah, I'd love to go. I'm going to. You're always welcome, Daniel. I- May take a look and yeah, I would love to come down and, and hang out. Uh okay, so if you can support the podcast, it's literally just Nordic Mythology Podcast on all the social media platforms. Sharing, liking, commenting on the comments obviously helps the the algorithm. New people find the podcast. 
And if you can, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. And again, just like I said at the top of the show, supporting us on Patreon is the best way to help support the show. It's Patreon forward slash Nordic Mythology Podcast. The entry tier is £3 a month. You get that bonus episode every single week. And if you want to follow me and my life, I post some history videos sometimes and a lot of doing my house up stuff at the minute and a lot of pictures of Mr. Rocco, uh, my lovely cock spaniel. He features a lot on there, uh, more than anything else. So yeah, if you're interested in that, it's Daniel underscore Farron one on Instagram. If not, then eh, fair enough. I understand. <laughs> I get it. Um, but yeah, Richard, thank you very much. And always we, a pleasure, Daniel. Always a pleasure. We can we before the show. Let's let's do something next year about around the goddess hell. Maybe oh before, yeah. Oh well, we if can, you don't want the goddess hell, but maybe we could do um bear cults. Yeah, there's always that to talk about. We can yeah, we can do that. We can plug the show before and then we absolutely. Can, Wonderful. 